At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Welcome to Trowadron Legends and More. Episode 31, Habedek and Jebulon. Well, hello and welcome to Trollodon Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey, and I just wanted to thank you guys again for taking a moment to listen to this podcast and this series. I really do appreciate it. It has been a joy, I can say that honestly, to sit down and record this information for everybody, knowing that there are people out there who are actually interested in learning more about what is this and that and various aspects of the Trollodron Pantheon and just Trollodron in general. It's been a really fun experience to, like I said, share that information with you and it's helped me appreciate all the more what we have here as far as material and stuff and finding new ways to to get it out there, make it available for people and uh, just share it as much as I'm able to because obviously if I don't get it out there, don't share it, no one's going to know it exists. So I'm glad there's an avenue and a venue and a people that are interested in not only listening to it, but also supporting that. So again, thank you so much for doing that. I do appreciate that. And I just do a little caveat here too. If you want to share more information with me about things you'd like to see more discussed in these episodes or questions you might have on things already shared or just commentary, feedback, things in general, you can do so by sending an email to lore, that's L-O-R-E at Chad Corey, that's C-H-A-D, C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. And I'll be more than happy to uh, see what I can address, if I can address it directly, or if I can just incorporate things into future episodes. Or if there are questions that might be good I can answer in general, I can do so and see if I can combine that for a future episode in you know answering questions and answers and things like that. But also, if you just want to take a moment and share where you are getting this information, where you are finding this podcast, how you came across it, what agitator or platform are you using to access it, that would be very helpful. I'd like to kind of learn where it's reaching, how people are getting access to it, and see where I can maybe do a better job of, you know, increasing awareness or, you know, tweaking things as needed to get more information, more resources available to those avenues and outlets. Okay, so transitioning back into what we're doing in this episode, we're doing the, again, two-for-one situation here, trying to combine two various entities into one episode. I think it will be a good one today because we're transitioning into something completely different. Previously, we talked about gods, then we got into Godspawn and uh, divinities. Now we're going to get into another level of the cosmic order here and look at fiendish princes. Now, what are fiendish princes? Well, good question. Fiendish princes and princesses, I should say, are a higher level of fiend than fiends for our reference for Trollodron are broken down into demons and devils. Demons are more, I guess, how do I describe it? They're more interested in the evil affecting the physical aspect 
of reality or being. So they're more, shall we say, the, the physical sins, or if you want to use that term, the darker elements of the physical side of, of reality. And demons are, you know, that's their gist. They go and level from the, the highest level of them would be a greater demon. And higher than a greater demon is a fiendish prince who would be a, a, a demon basically over a greater demon. Uh, the devils are those that are corrupted to the mental aspect of evil. So if you want to you know, use like you know, the, the mental sins or the things of that nature, so cruelty and, and the things, you know, again, this is kind of a nebulous topic, but I just, this is kind of the very succinct version. I don't want to get too deep and delve into it too much because we'll probably talk more about demons and devils. I think I actually maybe did in previous episodes. I'm going to go back and, and look at that. Not quite sure though, but that's the general gist of it. Um, they are basically the creation of fallen titans and maybe later on some drenors that were put into the abyss. When the, when the Titans tried to rebel against, and Titan Lords tried to rebel against the gods early on with Vakar's reign, he established the rules and uh, reality that all the Titans and all the people that for that, that point forward who would rebel against him would be sent to the Abyss, and that would be their internal punishment. And by doing that, he sent them to the Abyss not knowing that part of what he did in cursing them with the eternal existence because of the Vark, uh, Vark dispensation, he made all soul-possessing spirits immortal. Up until that point, they just faded away upon death like everything else. He incorporated an element that he unbeknownst to him by making them immortal or eternal that allowed them to basically become corrupted with their time in the abyss. And so over time, they became fiends. And over time, based upon if they were sent whole cloth, like they had a body, when they were sent there, they didn't die. You know, their, their spirit wasn't sent there independently. If they had a body and a spirit and a soul, they were sent into the abyss. That way they became demons because their physical body, their physical flesh was corrupted. And that's where the evil initially came in and, and twisted them and, and corrupted them along that line. And they became demons. If they were sent there without a body, they just had a spirit and a soul, then they were corrupted more along that line. So that's what the, the evil got into them and corrupted them as well. And that became devils. So got that? Okay, so those, those are the two distinctions. They have two different philosophies as far as what they try to do and try to establish in the abyss. They are more or less, for lack of a better explanation, the major population group of the abyss, although there are still divinities and, uh, I mean, divinities, there are still incarnates, there are still, you know, various people that are sent there over the years and such for imprisonment that the gods put there, or just people put there themselves for their choices with the pantheon and stuff, but they are more or less the the major population group are, besides the incarnates, are, are fiends, demons and devils. And so again, you have different levels of demons and devils, different levels of fiends, you have the lower, you know, lowest rank, then you have the highest rank, which is the, which is the, the the greater demon or devil, and then on top of that you have what are called fiendish princes. Now, fiendish princes are more or less the highest form. We can call them like a divinity. These would be like if you had a titan lord that was sent there in the past, and they used their ability of access to you know becoming a titan lord, and they were able to twist it, corrupt it, manipulate it in such a way that they became a greater divinity, a greater demon or devil. 
And so basically, if you want to think of them as like a, a demon greater lord or whatever, that's what they are. They are higher, higher ranked fiend. And they're basically able to take greater command and greater control over the abyss. And they seek to rule it as any lord of evil would, but they're on a different level, a different plane. They're equal to, but a little bit different than a, than a lord of evil. And they're not quite a titan lord anymore. They're kind of something in between that. And it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. So they're warring now against the lords of evil. They're warring against other people. And they're trying to form their own communities and fiefdoms or, or empires, what have you, within the, the different levels of the abyss. Okay, did you get all that? Yeah, a lot to take in there. But I wanted you to get a succinct as possible introduction to the demonic, devilish, and fiendish lord kind of concept there. And so what we'll talk about now is getting into Habedak, who is the, one of the ten fiendish princes. He's actually a demonic prince, and we'll talk a little bit just about him in a second. What these two, what these ten did, obviously there's a potential to have a lot of demonic and devilish princes exist because a lot of people fought against the Pantheon over the years and had the potential to become this. We're not going to cover all those guys. I don't even know all those guys if they exist. I just want to focus on the 10 in particular that had a beginning foothold in Trollodon and have been trying to reestablish and continue that connection ever since through various cults and the activity in general. So we're going to focus, like I said in the beginning, on Habedak, and I'll tell you a little bit about him and then more or less about his religion and his followers and then what the ultimate goals are, and then we'll get into Jebulon. But who is Habedak? Habedak is, basically he resembles a titan, a 20 or 15 foot tall titan, excuse me, with huge muscles and veins and rivers over his frame. He has pale brown flesh with reddish hair on his shoulders, forearms, and back. The same coarse hair covers his goat-like legs, each ending with ivory hooves. His arms are covered with black tribal tattoos and ending claws. His face is an evil and cruel expression with dark black hair and ivory horns akin to a water buffalo. And they extend about, well, about two and a half feet on either side of his head. His eyes are bright yellow that highlight his hooked nose and bushy eyebrows. His teeth are razor sharp and a set of shining black bat wings are attached to his back with about a 30 foot wingspan. He dresses in a simple crimson silk breechcloth, and that's etched with golden runes and attached to a thick leather girdle encircling his waist. He often wears golden bracelets, rings, necklaces, earrings, and other golden adornment, and it's not uncommon for him to wear silver caps on his horns, or at times he, he sometimes will wrap his wrist or excuse me, his waist in a chain of cast iron. He doesn't really have a lot for armor, adapting what adopting, excuse me, what he normally wears day to day into his means of protection. And these are usually thick bracers carved to resemble a collection of skulls with a matching set of greaves for his lower legs. His weapons usually are, he's kind of partial toward long swords, referring them for his first form of attack. And he also makes the use of uh, the cosmic element of evil, which he has access to to continue his forms of attack. Basically, his court, as a court, basically, he has a uh, Focus, he's a brutish prince, and he's rising above his rivals through sheer brute will and force of strength. He keeps hold of a part of the abyss in a small realm called Delgarna, and it's more or less an out-of-the-way backwater lost to wilds of the first level of the abyss. He does so again by strength and intimidation. He's not really cunning, he's, he's not, he's, but he is very aggressive, 
and this is tied with a slight but constant paranoia that keeps him in power and most of his rivals at bay. His court consists of three demonic lords, ten greater demons, and a wild and varied assortment of abysmal incarnates and demons. All are very loyal and indeed very uh, more intelligent when it comes to matters of survival, but they, they serve him pretty much to the extent that they're able to, to the best of their ability, because again, he's very intimidating and very forceful in what he wants done. His ultimate goal is to be, have the most ultimate power, seat of power, of, over all the other princes. And he wants to do that. And then once he has that, I should say, he wants to go on a glorious campaign and assault of paradise. He basically wants to consolidate all power on the abyss under his control, use it to form a grand great army, and take on paradise and ultimately destroy it and all the population therein. Needless to say, he's not been too successful in this effort and either unifying the other princes nor in planning his assault, but that doesn't stop him from planning and plotting, using what resources are at his disposal, including his cults on Trollodrin. And this is why his title is known as Angel's Bane. He has a deep desire to destroy angelic hosts. He has a deep desire to destroy all the uh, paradisal incarnates and just people in paradise in general. He just wants to put an end to it. And this ties into his cult and how that ties into what he he does. His followers are called Habadakites, and Habadak has kept some cults in Trollodrin across the centuries throughout various locations. While they are not that long lived in general, what he promotes can often be temptation to those looking for something other than what was understood uh, in the Trollodrin pantheon. Uh, while most trolls have been uh, seek him out because they see him as their creator, we'll talk about that in, in a moment. It's not those. It's usually comprised of non-trollish people in general, and some giants, and then some people that are monstrous races, and then people that are, like I said, are looking for something different that outside the common uh, known religions of the world. He brings with them the promise of making them something greater than what they are saying that he, they can be powerful and set apart from any set of rules or laws. They can be a lot of their own selves. And if they prove worthy enough, they can be allowed to take part in the ultimate goal of attacking paradise and making that plane habitats, which the others will get to rule with him to various degrees. So basically, he promises them you know, wealth and glory and power. You can be great on this planet and you can be great now and you can achieve greatness here. And then even after that, in the afterlife, you'll be able to lead a grand campaign and be even greater and rule with me forever and ever. Basically, it's a lie. He just wants fodder for his war machine, using these people to various extents to put them into various places. Because once you get there, you you find out with a lot of these uh, demonic princes and cults in general, it's not really what you uh, <laughs> what you see, uh, what you're promised. It's, it's obviously something much different. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that, because again, there's some things I get into in, in, in the stories in the future. I'll, I'll, I'll share about that. But those that don't measure up, he is also quick to disavow or even turn over to others to use his practice and their dark designs. He isn't one to let weakness filter through his plans or followers, destroying anyone else who won't support or propagate it. So even if you kind of have second thoughts or turn against him, he just basically has them turn on you and they kill you. They destroy you, even in the afterlife. And those that stand against his plans are also called to be put out of the way and often are sacrificed as a way of honor to him. Naturally, like I said earlier, Cuthon does not have a good uh, relationship with him. And sometimes he's seen as a rival, even imposter to what his, his goals are. 
and he has a long history of uh, you know butting heads with him as well. Getting back to what we said about trolls, some of these demonic princes and princesses had a hand in creating what are known in a larger sense the monstrous races. These originally they were known as the monstrous races, but they got combined with the other uh, non-humanoid races and non-human races to become. The monstrous races, but he had a creation of uh, the trolls. He was involved in that. He was corrupting giants to make even then part of his army to what he saw as the best army to not only take on Trilodon, but also take on his greater extent of the Paradise War. So that was his hand in the corruption of things. Obviously, the giants don't look too favorably on him, but the trolls have uh, some relationship to him as they realize he is their their creator and they should worship him as such. As far as a sacred sign or crest goes for the cults and stuff, they call it the horned glyph, and it is more or less a stylized form of what his face might be. It's like a humanoid face with water buffalo horns on it, and that they use uh, in a medallion. They usually carve that into a medallion and they put that on a chain, and the priests have that for their holy symbol. If you're really dedicated and really into the whole let's worship Haddock kind of thing, some people will be getting a tattoo or a you know, more emblematic form, a big big tattoo on the chest or carved into the arm or something where they can show their allegiance to to their God and their belief. Many people, though, just choose to kind of keep it secret and, and hidden for various purposes. Um, as far as the overall dress and, and outfits go, they just have a you know your traditional quote-unquote black hooded cloak when there's a sacred uh, event or something special that goes on, they will also have a, a diamond in or a circlet that has some bullhorns attached. They put over the, the hood of their cloak and they use that as part of their, their ceremonies. But that's basically the extent of the, the the faith, the cult. There isn't really a lot of anything written down or anything focused or anything established because like most cults, it fluctuates and varies over time and the Habitat likes that freedom to kind of alter or alter or change things wherever he needs to do so. And the less information you have written down, the less likelihood, of course, too, that people will find you and find you out. And with that said, let's transition into Jebulon, the second person we'll talk about today. Again, another demonic prince. And his name is, one of his names is the Secret Spider. And you'll find out why in just a moment here. But Jebulon is a fair-sized, kind of a bulky demonic prince who has the look of someone formerly covered in muscles, but has kind of let himself go over time. His covering over what was there was now kind of a big layer of fat. <laughs> Most of that fat is, is, is kind of in his gut. His bald head highlights his pointed ears and long mustache accompanied by a pointed goatee. His forehead also sports a set of goat horns. Both of his gray-colored eyes are ringed with a circle of black coal. And again, his hair is black. He's fair-skinned, and he stands about 15 feet tall. He likes wearing rich, long-sleeve robes with shoes or boots, depending on the situation. And the colors and designs of these robes can and do vary. Often a wide belt will encircle his wide waist, giving him a means to attach weapons and other items of interest and import. When it comes to combat, uh, Jebulon isn't that concerned with armor, adopting a curios that's specially made for his frame along with a specialty specially made open-faced helmet that lets his goat horns stick through without hassle or incident. He prefers using axes, double-headed is his first preference, followed by war axes, and he always keeps a dagger close at hand. As far as his court goes, Jebulon rules over a rather large multiracial city called Kralix on the first level of the abyss. 
The city is a nexus for several trading routes and positions on a key part of the river following nearby, or excuse me, flowing nearby. This is a relatively flat plain around him, giving him plenty of warning against any enemy attacks, but there is always something in the cities with the various factions that one has to consider. But uh, Jebulon deals with them by subtly pitting them against each other. He rules not so much by brute strength, but by fear. The fear of what one could lose if he tries to buck this system. And this fear makes his enemies always second-guess themselves and slip up in their actions, allowing him to swoop up and in and clean up the mess. And while he may act aloof, he is very adept at managing talent and resources, having ears and eyes everywhere on what is going on and should be paid attention to. Helping him in his rule are twelve demonic lords and eight greater demons, with several thousand demons along with some demon-aligned favoring abysmal incarments. He does welcome those seeking a better life, but the cost for such refuge is information. And if anyone should play him false, they will quickly learn what painful punishment awaits. Of all the demonic princes, Jebulon is perhaps the most interested in Trollodon directly, seeing it as a stepping stone for something greater, maybe even a move into higher and greater things, since the world offers him access to things he can't access in the abyss. And of late, he started enjoying the notion of growing into a deity, encountering more, encouraging more cults on the planet wherever feasible. Now, Jebulon is credited with the creation of Nighthounds. Now, Nighthounds are something we'll talk about maybe later. I'll have a whole segment on that maybe. In the, I think I mentioned them, maybe I didn't early on in the podcast, but they're not really people. They're just a corruption of, of something a different animal. Again, I'm not going to get into what they are yet, but needless to say, he is credited with the creation of Nighthounds because he couldn't necessarily try and trap the Draenors, although he tried doing so, they just didn't really work. And These animals would serve him well for his time on the planet, but quickly forgot him as their former creator and master, going feral and enjoying their freedom in the centuries that followed his expulsion from Trollodrim. His cult on Trollodrim is run more like secret society, wherein he uses them to influence various levels of society and influence toward his own end, while gathering resources, excuse me, while gathering various information and insight that can be used or sold for various purposes. In short, he turns his followers into spies, thieves, and two-faced participants in whatever venue or venture they engage in. While they may flourish in it, they are secretly serving Jebulon, who promises promises them riches, reward and power, even showing them how to, they can profit from their double dealings in life. Because Jebulon really isn't interested in sacrifice, just information on the workings of his plans and purposes and things, he is often a more acceptable demonic prince to worship for many. And given he still allows people to follow their former gods, if it helps advance his purposes, many can have the illusion of getting the best of both worlds, as it were. But there, but such thoughts can often be shattered when the cult, when he calls for murder, robbery, and other dark deeds to advance his end. But even then, many have been able to compartmentalize their actions, making themselves believe they have come to they'll come out on top no matter what in the end. It doesn't hurt that they often are shown ways to profit from their efforts and service that help them enjoy life and advance in the rank for even greater service to Jebulon and later reward. For Jebulon, his goal is to gain enough information and understanding of things to either barter or work his way into a higher divine rank. He's convinced becoming a deity isn't impossible if one knows the right information and seeks for it constantly. 
And in the meantime, he uses what he does know to come out on top, playing various factions and people against one another for personal enjoyment, benefit, and enrichment. Because of the often large network he is able to build up across such a wide swath of demographics, Jebulon's cults are always seen as a threat to every institution, religious and secular alike. These institutions will often side together and put an end to the cults as swiftly as possible, rooting all they can out from anything and everywhere it might have set roots in. Followers of Jebulon are called Jebulists, and their afterlife belief consists of them, they serve well in this life, going to Kralik's and uh, their being able to be rewarded richly for their service with a life of ease as they continue serving their master in various capacities. And to some extent, that is mostly true. He continues to use the ones he thinks are worthwhile to his own ends as far as getting information and maintaining that information network. As far as a sacred symbol or holy symbol, they use what is called a gilded spider. And it's a golden stylized spider for their symbol. It's rarely seen among the cult outside of use for personal holy objects, but when it is seen outside, it's usually placed on a purple background. The spider shape itself is made out of gold and made into a pendant to be worn on a black cord. It is often only worn in gatherings, however, to keep it, their activities and uh, religion secret from all, all other people. Their basic tenets, I don't really get too deep into them, but just the philosophy itself, so you get kind of taste what they're about. This is some basic rules they follow. Loyalty above life, secrecy above all. Truth is a shackle to those lacking ambition. Help spin the web and you can up profit from the strand. Those who strive for more shall have and enjoy it, no matter the cost. So again, it gives you an idea of kind of what they're, what they're focused on. And that is basically uh, the summation of his cult and the introduction to Jebulon in general. I just wanted to give you again an overview of him. I don't want to get too deep into what he's about or involved in either him nor Habitat because there will be things that will be popping up in the near future with them. Hopefully you enjoyed it and it was a benefit to you. You got some insight and some more things that you thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Maybe maybe some hints and things you can see going on in the background for future stories as more Easter eggs and subtle hidden clues are dropped in future installments of stories. But otherwise, thank you for listening. We'll continue next episode next month with some more Demonic Lords, fleshing out some more information about them and delving deeper into the hidden cults and activities of Trollogan. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.